Homestyle Green, episode number 40. What is a building whisperer? G'day and welcome back to Homestyle Green. My name is Matthew Cutler-Welsh and this is the podcast all about how to build better homes that are good for people and good for the planet. And I, my mission is to bring you interesting information about how to build better homes. Now, a few weeks ago, I had a very interesting experience with a Twitter application. I'm a little bit new to Twitter, but I've been trying it out and it's been having some interesting results. And I something came into my inbox a couple of weeks ago and it was called Zamba Me or Soapbox. And it's from an outfit called Vitricity. I'll send a link to that because it all sounds very confusing, but it's not really. Basically, you sign up and it helps you find more people on Twitter. And it was so successful that I went from just over 100 people on Twitter that were following me to now I've got about 360. More importantly, though, than those numbers, which is a bit of a vanity metric, really, was the quality of those people that suddenly I was discovering on Twitter. And in fact, so uh, impressive was that, that there was the, has led directly to both last week's interview that I had with Howard Koenig uh, from Zeta Design Build and this week's guest, David Bartlett. Now, David is a building whisperer who works at IBM and is based in New York. And I don't think I fully appreciated just how much of an amazing guy David is until after the interview and I started reading a little bit more about him. I, I read up a little bit and saw a video and, and was very excited to uh, have the opportunity to speak to him, but uh, read even more uh, after I <laughs> spoke to him. And he is a truly amazing guy. I'll put some links in the show notes, but just to give you a little bit of a um, a taste, he's, he's won quite a few awards, uh, including being ranked as the top 15 people to watch in 2013 for Intelligent Buildings, and in 2012 was the winner of the Verge 25 Award for Next Gen Buildings, and the list goes on. So a very influential guy, very leader in his field and a great thinker about smart buildings and um, getting some intelligence about buildings. So I asked uh, Dave what a building whisperer is and what does that mean for us here talking mostly about houses? Now, after the interview, I did think of another question and I, pay, I po um, posed that question to David. And rather than taking more time on this episode, what I'll do is I'll put Dave's response to the question on the blog so you can check it out there. But basically, I asked David about what steps and actions can homeowners take right now today to listen better to the buildings that we use. So that gives you a bit of a clue about what is in store for this episode. Uh, but do make sure you head on over and check out what David had to say about that. All right. Enjoy the show. I'll speak to you afterwards. David, thank you very much for your time this morning. First of all, I want to start out with your Twitter description, which I love. It says, uh, you're a building whisperer on a mission to change the way we manage our world to use less energy and water. Together, we can create a smarter planet. Can you tell our listeners, what is a building whisperer? Sure, Matthew, and, and it's a, a pleasure to uh, be speaking with you this morning about my favorite topic. So um, as a technologist, uh, one that uh, is coming 
at this problem as a computer scientist, there has been a proliferation of uh, smart sensors uh, which produce data from buildings, building management systems, lighting systems, security systems um, in the last decade uh, to the point where, you know, I think there provides this new opportunity that we didn't have a decade ago. So uh, when I first did this in the first project that I worked on, which was a 35-building campus, I remember the facilities manager saying, oh, my God, Dave, it's so much data. And I said, that's okay. You know, we, that's what we love in, in IT and computer science. We know how to deal with it. We'll prioritize it. We'll filter it. We won't swap you with that. But, but he just said he couldn't imagine there was that much data coming from the site. Yeah. And, and so, so I wrote this story that was published about buildings are talking to us. And if we can learn to listen holistically to them, uh, we can heal them of their wild energy and water-wasting ways. And and then I got the moniker, the building whisperer, from, from that point forward. Right. <laughs> and would you say that's true for houses as well as commercial buildings? Absolutely. Um, you know, if you look at anyone's home today, it's full of, um, as you've replaced different appliances, devices, not just the energy systems or your you know, your air conditioner or heat, but light, but gosh, even the um, toaster to toast bread that the last we bought has a LED readout and these cool new functions that, like, if I want to see how the toast is progressing, there's one button I can press, it comes up, you can have a look, and it goes back down without missing a beat. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of data um, that is being produced in the home that I think we have the opportunity then to um, take a closer look at and see how we can manage homes more efficiently. Yeah, so can you tell us a bit more about exactly what it is you do at the moment? And is there anything that's inspired you along the way that, uh, you know, specific events or experiences that has led you down the path that you're currently on? Yeah, well, I started off as a biologist and, and studied also ecology and uh, you know when I graduated from school the jobs were in computer science so I, de I then went to get a degree in computer science but my heart has always been into natural ecosystems and how we can learn to, to live um, in a more productive way when we give back to the environment instead of always taking from the environment and, and so the fact that IBM has moved into this Smarter Planet campaign feels like kind of a full circle moment for yep. me. I feel like I'm on a mission and, not, and I don't have a job. You feel like the fields of biology and computer science are completely at different ends of the spectrum and completely unrelated? Yeah, quite the opposite. You know, the... Um, if you look at the issues of sustainability, it really takes uh, broader thinking, getting out of the silos of engineering or the different disciplines and really looking more horizontally. In fact, a lot of universities are creating T-shaped programs where you get accreditation for, you know, the vertical part of that T, the engineering or architecture, but 
that the horizontal part is combining um, with that degree courses in biology, in computer science, in business, and so you can you can attack these larger problems. And I think if you look at some of the work that's been done in biomimicry uh, yep. for for housing, for office buildings, that's a good uh, example of, of how we can bring those two bodies of thoughts together to do something in a much uh, more uh, productive way. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting perspective on the traditional courses that we teach of in things like engineering, which is, I know from my experience in engineering, or even, uh, mine was a little bit different because mine was environmental engineering, but I know that the traditional structural mechanical are almost completely devoid of anything in the natural world. Whereas, you know, I can imagine if there was to be a biomimicry course that would need to straddle both. Right, you know, one example that um, I like to give um, is if you look at the air handling sy systems of buildings and the ductwork, rather than thinking of them as components to deliver uh, cooler air or warmer air, think of them as the respiratory system of yeah. a structure the lungs, the, the trachea, and what's the purpose of, when you think of it that way, it begs the question, okay, what's the function of the respiratory system? It's not just to provide air, it's to provide uh, healthy um, well-being through the right, delivering the right balance of oxygen and removal of carbon dioxide. If you look at um, large office buildings, many of them will exchange air based on uh, a, a um, ASHRAE or industry standard yeah. as opposed to when do you really need to do that air exchange to maintain the healthiest mix of oxygen and CO2. Certainly you don't need to be exchanging air when no one's there. On the other hand, if you've got lots of people in a small room, you need to be doing it more frequently. And if you, if you do it too often, you're using a lot of extra energy. If you're not doing it often enough, you're creating an unhealthy environment. And there's also lots of filtration you can apply to that um, to remove contaminants. Again, our, 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 um, the physiology that make, makes us successfully evolve um, takes care of many of those factors. And if you look at the, you know, where horns are going, the envelopes are getting tighter and tighter, mm -hmm. and, and there's a, you know, a lot of concern about uh, not only uh, oxygen exchange, but what, you know, the contaminants that can be off-put from the different materials. So um, I think it's an opportunity to uh, bring in outside air in a much more intelligent fashion, not through the lens uh, of energy, but through the lens of well-being, through the lens yep. of health. Yep. And, and that will have the, the uh, effect of uh, more efficient uh, energy usage. Yep. Yep. What it's uh, what do you think is the biggest issue with our buildings and also our built environments right now? Well, I think the biggest issue is that we that we don't you know we don't look at buildings this way that um, they buildings um, whether they're commercial buildings or residential buildings are put in place and then you have to do the task, whether it's work or living or sleeping in the building, regardless of what the building, you know, 
It's, it, it should be the other way around. It should be uh, and, and can be with today's technology far more dynamically responsive to um, occupancy, to the tasks being done, whether that's a better task-oriented lighting or, uh, or as we talked about, oxygen um, or, or purity of air and water. So, but, or perhaps uh, thinking about noise pollution. So being very occupant aware or task aware and the building dynamically responding to that as opposed to it's, we've got the model kind of upside down. I think having that model upside down is what causes so much of the inefficiency of buildings, up to 40% of energy wasted, up to 50% of water wasted. Um, and, and I think, you know, really getting the focus correct, which, by the way, will improve quality of life, uh, will, will make a big impact on, on efficiency. And given that most of our buildings already exist, is that philosophy retrofitable? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, if you, the first campus that I mentioned that I worked on, uh, which the chairman asked me to start within our company based on his leadership, his commitment, uh, you know, IBM has been, uh, there's a, a ranking that's done for the top companies in North America that been rated number one. Um, so we've got this huge commitment to environment, to energy for the last couple of years. Um, so, asking me to start with our own campus, the, the one that I started with was uh, fifth, over 50 years old. Yeah. had every type of equipment imaginable in it, uh, but it had been upgraded over the years. And as I said, and slowly, as I said in the beginning of our conversation, um, upgraded to the point where I was able to get enough digital data from it to really um, look at um, many of the things that weren't being looked at by current energy systems and lighting systems. Right. You know, capture um, those what-if questions that weren't being asked and being able to monitor on a, on a real-time basis um, and run analytics on that data for deeper insight. And we found all kinds of opportunities for improvement, not just in energy and water usage, but also in, in how we maintain the structures and and um, in, in the most efficient way, get the most value from the assets in a building. So I actually think there's far more opportunity in the older structures because uh, they've got so many more challenges. That gives us opportunity to drive a much better ROI much quicker. Mm -hmm. um, and again, uh, typically the interest of the, my audience here is residential space. So... Um, do you, do you see the same sort of opportunities in, in houses? I absolutely do. I, I think the um, houses, um, you know, think of it as the function you play if you're always home, you mm. know, where you're o overseeing. And so you could have, um, you know, you use the latest techniques, have a very tight envelope, yep. uh, you know, have all LEDs, uh, right? And, but if your um, teenager leaves the door open when you're running air conditioning or, um, or leaves it open when you're running heat, it doesn't, you're never going to achieve a net zero or a net positive state, right? So it's, it's about 
um, people participating. It's not just about the technology, but it's about how we participate with it. So if you were always in the home and could oversee everything, um, you could you could kind of do what I'm talking about. Um, but using uh, you know IT technology or programming to really get the data and automatically monitor everything. Much like a security system monitors uh, doors that or windows that are opened when the system is on or moving in the house, you can do the same thing um, to a, to uh, better achieve uh, your goals of you know. I, I like like on um, I've done some reading on your work. You know, really, it's all about moving beyond net zero to net positive, right? Yeah, well, and and well, to start with, moving beyond the building code, which is. Um Far from, far from net zero, uh, pretty pretty um, low threshold there. So yeah, just trying to think, uh, get people to think about efficiency, and I, and I really like that philosophy of thinking about the purpose of a of a building, in our case, a house, because I see that uh, buildings, houses uh, seem to have two main purposes. One is to um, put a roof over people's heads, but the other is to make a financial gain for a lot of people and I think when the when the latter uh, over overtakes the the former that's when we lead to substandard houses right you know I think another hand we could if, if we don't just look at financial gain but I think one thing that's becoming top of everyone's mind is health and well-being and so rather than say, okay, here's trying to sell them on just pure energy efficiency, um, that the, the real uh, value to their quality of life to raising children is, mm, mm. is the quality of environment that a home like this can provide if built with the right materials, but also monitored constantly. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things we hear about all the time is, is the um, plastic water bottles and and the you know massive continent of plastic swirling and drifting in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, yeah, I've <laughs> right? heard about that. Literally, there's an island floating out there somewhere. Yeah, right. So, why do people drink out of plastic bottles? Um, many reasons, but probably the biggest one, certainly in this country, is it, it's a some level of assurance of quality of water right. that you're drink, drinking because in the home. Uh, there's, you never know what's being delivered at the tap, but you could. There's a type of sensor technology, um, and and probably um, if installed, would continuously show a higher quality or superior quality of water to what you are getting in a bottle. Bottles uh, made of plastic off-put uh, chemicals as well. So yeah, yes, you know, yeah. I I, I just think you know. Um, we have the opportunity to use that lens. Um, I started off with the lens purely of, of energy savings, and I found um, it's been so overused that almost some people you know, turn a deaf ear when you start talking about saving energy. But one that resonates so well is um, let's, let's provide environments that promote the highest health and well-being for ourselves, for our children, for our families, uh, that 
and and I think that's very much connected to energy uh, savings and, and water savings and um, and better recycling everything. It's it's more of a holistic way to look at it. I think that's a fascinating perspective because I'm finding very much the same thing, and I think it's because energy efficiency and energy saving is pretty unsexy and it's also a logical argument and houses and i guess even to an extent the places we work and and the building environments aren't logical spaces they're emotional spaces and particularly with homes most of the decisions that get made about what home we purchase and then the way that we redecorate it or that we change it most of those are logical because they're uh, sorry emotional because they're certainly not logical yeah that's right and um you know if you go back to why you know what is the real purpose of buildings that we live and work in beyond keeping us dry um what do we hope for them to provide Uh, there is this emotional attachment um i think some of the most impressive buildings I've been are ones that uh, inspire me. Yeah. That, right? And, and, and so understanding that and moving away from just a, okay, a, a materials and um, energy focus to, excuse me, i got a, another phone here. <laughs> That's all right. Let me just uh, hang that up. You know, that... I think we start to get it right. Again, it, it's uh, it, it's looking at buildings through a lens of, okay, what are we doing in them? What is the task? What is yeah. the act doing? As opposed to, here's the spec home. Let's recess all this lighting in the ceiling all the way along the line, regardless of what task or what's being done in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Or the, or the no, most importantly, the, east-west orientation of the home as you look for spaces to be outside and then the solar gain and, um, you know, yeah. think of that thoughtful approach, um, yeah. which I think provides a more inspiring end product and one that is more oriented towards that occupant and their well-being. I just want to come back to technology, uh, Dave, because... There's a a lot of evidence to suggest that increasing the amount of technology, especially gadgets, has has actually increased our raw consumption of materials and energy. And uh, you've said in, in a video yourself that buildings are consuming more and more of the total total of our energy consumption, um, and soon they'll probably be the leading consumption of of energy. Um, and, and we've seen this over here with more and more efficient air conditioning and, and heat pumps, which means that a lot more people have those now, but our total energy use has actually increased as more people have got access to that technology. So do you think can te- technology can actually help us use less? I do. I, I think, I mean, that's kind of the ironic or fun aspect of this job. In many ways, technology got us into this problem state but technology is the answer, I think, to get us out of that state. Certainly, you know, the book Abundance, you know, which I mentioned to you earlier, talks about that. Um, so, <clears throat> I mean, if I walk through 
uh, you know, I'm in New York, and if I walk through the city at night and look at these buildings that have even some of the most newest, most efficient buildings with lights on at night, running air conditioning and lights on at night, um, yes, it creates a beautiful skyline, but most of that lighting isn't there to create a night image. It's just a result of office lights being left on, air conditioning being left on, um, and running even though people aren't there. And technology can help us constantly understand occupancy and task to constantly adjust to what's happening at the moment. And that's the huge opportunity, just efficiency. Yep. You know, so, so much of the space that's lit and is conditioned is unused. You know, I ask people, would you leave your car running in the middle of the night while you're in your house sleeping? Would you leave your car running with the air conditioning on and the lights on in your car? No, of course not. It's crazy. So why do we accept that for buildings? Yep. Yeah. So. Um, I, I see building intelligence as the, there being two parts. One is the software and the, the smarts of the, the data collection and aggregation and then feeding that information. The other is the, the gadgets, the sensors. Um, do you deal with both, and do you see one as more important or, or more of a challenge than the other? Well, I think they're both um, areas for opportunity, continual advancement. I think in the sensor arena, I've seen a lot of exciting advances, uh, including using um, light fixtures as a new platform for multiple sensors the use of wireless technology that really brings the, the cost down yeah. uh, as well as many of the geospatial um, correlations we can do with RFID or ultrasonic ID or uh, etc. But we largely um, are not, although IBM Research works on some advanced sensor types, in fact we working with the museum, created one of the most world's sensitive corrosion detectors that can detect in that one atomic layer of corrosion at a time. Wow. And um, with that, we were quickly able to dynamically adjust the indoor environment and found that just adjusting it by a couple degrees had an order of magnitude on corrosion rate that wouldn't have been observable with the previous sensors. But the bulk of what IBM does is really around the data and the analytics. Yep. So it's the big, big data. As I said, there's a lot of data coming from buildings. And if you look at all the homes and all the buildings and all the cities, you know, quickly you get an idea how quickly the, this Internet of Things, where all physical objects are being connected now, mm, mm. Um, is having much more of a profound impact on the on the data coming into databases now and and much more opportunity to take that data, which much of it has a very short shelf life, it's representing a current operating state, for us to interact with our physical environment very dynamically in a way that we haven't before. So that's the opportunity IBM says it sees. It's the big data, it's the analytics, it's the security of that data, um, it's, it's connecting that to uh, mobility which we've done in a number of implementations, yeah, um, right? Because everybody wants to not only do it while you're in the building, but 
also from your your pad, your tablet, or yeah, your smartphone. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's a space that um, we're we're really focused on. Um, I'm interested to find out more about what can be can be uh, sensed from a light fixture. Yeah, well, so they, this I've just been looking at actually a couple different companies that are developing um, a, a platform that plugs into the the light fixture. So it, the light fixture, uh, you can put your LED light there, but but it, the platform also has the power and the um, platform to put any number of sensors at, at every light. Um, receptacle, if you will, or as many as you want to do. Wow. And it, there's just, it, I think it's very creative. So again, you're not, you're not dealing with batteries and you're not dealing with running uh, power and, and, um, and then the uh, signals can be transmitted wirelessly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm interested in that side of things because I know that in, particularly in New Zealand, Australia, central heating is fairly rare so the consequence of that is that people don't tend to have thermostats though and as a result of that people don't really know what temperature their homes are uh they know if they're cold or they're hot but they don't um we don't quantify that very much or very commonly here it's changing a little bit with heat pump technology and and having air conditioners because the remote controls will have a temperature set point on those but who knows how accurate those are um, most people have no idea here what temp- actual temperature individual rooms are, let alone things like humidity. So I think the ability to actually get that information and to visualise it um, would, would be a, a big step forward for improving the internal spaces of, of certainly homes. Right. And you know the, the thermostat technology is moving forward too. I don't know if you... If you have the Nest thermostats available there, I I I think it could be available for people to import it. But um, I've had a look at the Nest. I think it's fantastic, and I, um, purely for that reason of, of a really simple way of displaying and and an attractive way as well. Your yeah, thermostats traditionally have been really really ugly, the boxes that sit on the wall, <laughs> uh, which is wrong. You know, we 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 spend a lot of money on on clocks that are. In, in keeping with our internal uh, decorating, but um, why why not the thermostats as well? Why not share information about the internal environment in a in a aesthetically pleasing way? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's um this thermostat is definitely a step more towards um, what I've been talking about in in the sense that um, it it, it uh, rather than you having to program it, it learns from your behavior in the home and programs itself uh, and yeah. it understands when you're not there and and turns off um, heating you can um, adjust it from a smartphone when you're in the office yeah so it's so that you know getting rid of this programming which re- really never worked with thermostats yeah yeah right <laughs> and um, having a system that adapt can adapt to I mean Whatever you've got, forced air, heat pump, radiant system, but um, uh, you know, automatically saving energy in your way, understanding um, why, but continually trying to learn. Like for you know, one example is a lot of these systems when you 
reach the set point, they just turn themselves off, even though the coils are st still cold, and so you could still run the fan for a period of time to gain more efficiency from it. Yeah, right. right. Well, I leverage a lot of. You think I was a nest salesman, but I'm not. I'm just, <laughs> I've just been installing them, and in, in, you know, my daughter's home and my home, and you know, again. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice solution. I'll I'll link up. Uh, I'll put a link to the show uh, in the show notes so people can see that if they haven't seen it before. Hey, um, running out of time, so I, I just want to ask you if you have. Oh, well, you mentioned that the book uh, Abundance. Do why is that? Um, why is that a recommendation? Well, you know, abundance is um, a recommendation because it really uh, talks about the um, how technology uh, can solve that got us here in the first place can really solve a lot of these problems. It's um, you know an alternative to to much of the negative pessimism about global warming and the problems of the world and we're all, you know, everything's going downhill to a much more positive view of how we can use technology to um, to get us out of the problem that got us into in the first place. So it's, um, you know, some of the talks about the innovations that are coming our way, uh, what's being created, how they can be applied. It, it changes the conversation from a pessimistic one, I think, to a, a positive one embracing the future in a more positive way which yeah. I, i'm i'm a, i'm an optimist I, that's the way i like to think so nice. that's great and do you want to give us a, a a bit of a plug for for yourself and the work that you're doing at the moment where where can people find out more about what you're up to well I've, you know i've worked to evangelize this so pretty easy to find in the social media if you google or search for Bartlett and the and Building Whisper, um, that certainly brings up a lot of the work. Uh, I'm I everything I do, I try to keep a record on Twitter, using it in a way just to disseminate interesting ideas. I don't use it to say you know what I ate last night. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that's just my first name and the first four letters of my last name, Dave Bart. You know, and I'm on LinkedIn and um, and uh, Facebook. So, I, you know, a lot of people laugh at Twitter, but we had a Twitter chat for one hour that we didn't have to um, rent a room for. We advertised it through Twitter, and it reached over um, a half a million people in that hour and generated 500 unique new ideas for smarter homes and buildings. Wow. So... Well, and it's it's safe to say that we wouldn't be having this conversation right now if it wasn't for Twitter as well. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I, I tell you, I, let me end by saying, you know, just, in, you know, getting introduced to you through Twitter, and I've read up a little bit on what you're doing. I gladly uh, accepted this interview because I, I think what you're doing is great. Um, I applaud efforts like yours. Um, your passion, your enthusiasm for moving the science and the work forward in the right direction. So, so thank you for for being part of this movement and uh, and and talking to me today. Well, thank you, David. I really appreciate that. And I, one of the things I do talk about often is the fact that we have more in common, both 
uh, with our physical, with our beings, our, our humans have more in common. And, and also our, I think our buildings have more in common around the world than we do in different. So I think speaking to you on Skype uh, from New York is, is totally relevant to people listening uh, here in Auckland or, and I know we've got people listening in the UK. So um, thank you for, very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Any, any final advice, comments before we, uh, before we say goodbye? I'll just, you know, take a moment each day to spend some quiet time and think about uh, where you're working, where you're living, how it can be done better, you know, listening, listening to buildings. Awesome. Thanks very much, David. We'll uh, keep in touch and uh, maybe catch up with you again sometime in the future. I, I'd, I'd enjoy that. Thanks so much. And that was David Bartlett, Building Whisperer, speaking to us there from New York. So to summarize that interview, and there, was, there were so many good things in that, um, but here are some three main points that I took out. First of all, what David said, sustainability requires out-of-the-box thinking, and it's not just about traditional engineering. I really like that idea, and I, it's something that I have to remind myself as an engineer, that it's not just about one form of engineering. We're not going to fix buildings and the way we do things. And David brought up the issue of, of biomimicry there or the, the topic of biomimicry. And I'll put some links into the show notes uh, where you can find more information about biomimicry because it's a great topic. And I, uh, I really like that idea of combining natural sciences with, um, with technology as well. Um, of course, the original book there by Janine B. Benyus. Um, I'll put a link to where you can find that in Amazon, all about biomimicry. Um, the second point at related to that was thinking about systems. And I also really like this concept about buildings and the interrelated systems within a building, particularly as they relate to similar systems in nature and the idea of the HVAC system or the ventilation system being very similar to a respiratory system. And I think that really helps describe what a, a, an effective ventilation system should actually be achieving. Um, and also beg some questions about some of the things that we call ventilation at the moment and, and um, bring into, into question whether they are really effective or not. And finally, it's about participation of people, not just technology. And once again, have to remind myself of this as an engineer, it's about the people. And no matter how many toys and gadgets and technical bits and pieces you put on a building, it's all pretty useless if the people aren't engaged in that technology or aren't seeing some sort of benefit from it, aren't, aren't enjoying the, the use of it. So that's something that we all need to think about when we're designing buildings, when we're retrofitting in buildings, and when we're teaching people about how to get the most out of their buildings as well, because it is as much about the people as the bricks and mortar and the timber that go into those buildings. That is it from me. Quite a long episode this week. Uh, thanks for hanging in there. Um, I am off for a week next week, but hopefully I've got some great interviews coming up. So check those out. Uh, hopefully we'll have another one um, next week. I Just, just to um, let you know what's coming up, I'm hooking up an, an interview with uh, EcoDeals here in New Zealand. It's an online website where you can buy all good stuff. 
Plus, I'm really excited to speak soon to Albrick Stockline. And if you haven't checked out designnavigator.co.nz, I highly recommend you do. I think I've talked about it once before in the show. Designnavigator.co.nz is a great place to go if you want to do a basic H1 calculation or a thermal performance calculation. And Albrick's just added a very exciting new tool to Design Navigator. So head on over there and check that out. And I'm hoping to interview Albrick very soon about that. That's it from me this week. Thanks for tuning in. Love to get your comments over in the iTunes store. Let people know about the show. Don't forget that Twitter um, app that I mentioned at the beginning of the show uh, to find more interesting people out there. And we'll talk to you next week on Homestyle Green. Thanks very much. Cheers, bye. Thank you.